I, uh, I get on a plane tomorrow, and I, two days later, I, I land, and I walk across the tarmac of Entebbe International Airport, and then I travel, I don't know how, maybe on horses, I'm not sure what the plans are, but we'll travel to northern Uganda and spend um, about a week and a half, two weeks in the refugee camps there. And I have a lot of questions for God. There's things that I, I want to know. There's things that, that I want to know ahead of time. I, I need to, I want to see God and I want to hear from Him. But the truth is, you don't have to do that. You don't have to get on a plane and fly to the other side of the world to have that same desire, that same cry of your heart. I want to see God. I want to understand what is going on today. I want to know what he's doing. What is his heart? What are his plans for us right now? I want to know how to live in the moment that he's put me in. And you don't have to go to the other side of the world to desire that or ask that question, right? There's plenty right here, right now, for us to cry out and say, God, help me have clarity. Give me clarity. I want to know what it looks like to live right here in this moment. Here's how we say it around here at Crossroads. I want to be a voice of hope in 2022. I want to be a passionate follower of Jesus who lives by faith. I want to be known by love, and I want to be a voice of hope. And friends, we will not, we cannot be a voice of hope if we don't hear from God, if we don't understand God's heart. If we're not overwhelmed with his presence so that we're in this conversation with him every day saying, God, I need to hear from you today. I need to know your heart today. I need to know how to live today, right here, right now. I want to be a voice of hope in 2022 in the set of circumstances that I find myself in. God, I need to know your heart. I want to understand your heart. For me, for this world, for people, I want to know your heart. We are in the book of Nehemiah, and we took a break last week. Not a break, but we, our focus turned, and we looked at Pentecost and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the, We had a birthday party. We celebrated the birth of the church, and this morning we're back in Nehemiah chapter 9, and maybe you remember that we left them, when we left them, they had decided that they were going to celebrate the festival the, the, of the Feast of Tabernacles, the festival of booze. They were going to go camping. They're going to have family camp, not for four days, but for seven days and eight days. And so they decided to do that, and they hadn't done that since the time of Joshua with that kind of passion and clarity of who God is and who they are to him. And they have this celebration, this intense celebration of all that. And then we come to, in our Bibles, what is chapter 9, and we read what happens next. And that's where I want to direct our hearts this morning, is to chapter 9. I would encourage you to have your Bible. Um, it'll be on the screen behind me in a few minutes. We're going to have an extended time of, of reading. And I don't want to lose you. Okay? That, that, that's, they, they tell you, don't do that. Don't read from, you know, in this situation, a long passage because you'll lose people. I don't want to lose anybody, so no, that's coming. So whatever you got to do to get ready, okay? Get the coffee, go use the bathroom now, all that kind of stuff. 
Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, on the 24th day of this month, referring to the seventh month mentioned in chapter 8, all these events have, have happened, and now we come to the 24th day of this month. And the Israelites, they come back together. They assembled. They gathered like we're doing this morning. And what were they doing? They were fasting. Does anybody know what fasting is? Do we? Okay. We know about it up here. They were fasting. They were wearing sackcloth. Anybody know what that is? Okay, we'll see. And they put dust on their heads. Anybody know what that is? If you're three years old, you know what that is, right? That's like one of the greatest joys in life, right? <laughs> Throwing dust. They're fasting. They're wearing sackcloth. They're putting dust on their heads. And those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood... And they confessed their sins and the guilt of their fathers. And while they stood in their places, in their, their families, maybe even their tribes, as they stood in their places, organized, they read, the leaders read from the book of the law. The book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. All right, everybody do me a favor and turn around and look at, that, look at the back wall if you can. You see that back there? What does that say? 28 minutes? Don, I would like a fourth of a day put on the timer this morning. No, I'm kidding. Probably about three hours. Another fourth, they spent in the book of the law for a fourth of the day, and then they spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord our God. And then we're given some names of some leaders, some Levites, Yeshua and Bani and Cadmium and Shebaniah and Buni and Sherebiah and another Bani and Shanani. They stood, these leaders, they stood on a raised platform that had been constructed. We saw that already in our study. And it had been built specifically for the Levites to get up on the, the stage, the platform, and to cry out loudly to the Lord their God. And then these Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, some overlap and some new ones, Hash, Hashabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah together said this, Stand up! You ever heard that in church? We heard it this morning, didn't we? Would you please stand? Stand up! We didn't, we didn't I just want you to know that Crossroads didn't invent that. Nate didn't invent that. You know, oh, he's telling me to stand up again. Can't I just sit down? The, he didn't invent that. This has been a practice of God's people for literally thousands of years. Stand up and praise Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Praise your glorious name, God, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. May there be nothing else that we bless and praise more. I will praise my mom's cooking. And because I want to be happily married, I will praise my wife's cooking. And that's good. Come on, men. Join me in that. I'm telling you, that's good. Okay, thank you, Jim. You don't leave me up here all by myself. That's good to praise that. And there's things that we can praise and we can certainly be thankful for and talk up. But nothing, nothing should be the, the, the recipient of our praise and our exaltation more than God. And it's represented in his name because his name reveals to us who he is, but it also indicates who we believe him to be. When I pray in the name of Jesus and I say, 
in Jesus' name we pray. I am telling you who I believe Jesus to be. I pick that name and I say it because I'm told to, but I say it publicly because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the advocate with the Father, that my ability to speak to my, my Heavenly Father is through the name of His Son, my Creator and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So it reveals, not only it reinforces who God is, but it also indicates to people who we believe God to be. Which is why God is so offended in the dialogue of a movie or with a co-worker on the construction site or at school or wherever it might be, and someone says, Jesus Christ, in that manner. You ever wonder why? Why does God make such a big deal about that? Because in that moment, that person is revealing who they believe Jesus Christ to be. They believe him just to be a curse word, just to be something to be thrown around. Are you with me? He said, they tell the people of God, stand up, praise Yahweh your God for, from everlasting to everlasting. Praise his glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessings and all praise. Anything else that we give ourselves to that we talk about as important, nothing should be... a higher than or more important than God. I got one amen. And an old man shook his head slightly. <laughs> Go back with me just for a minute into these verses. And I and I have two I have two thoughts that captivated my my heart and my mind this week and I'll give you the first one then we'll go back. And, and here's the first one and, and guys you can put it up on the screen. Repentance, this idea of repentance and we'll unpack this. But repentance proceeds revelation. Repentance sets the table for my questions that I threw out to be answered. I want to see God. I want to know who He is. I want to hear from Him. I want to understand Him and what He's doing and my part in that today. That's revelation. I want to see that. But what needs to come first, what precedes that, is repentance. And when we read this moment, it's a little strange to us. Fasting, let's just, I mean, come on. <laughs> Fasting is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. I mean, we get it. We understand, and you raised your hand. We get the concept of fasting. But do we practice it regularly? No, we don't. Can I give you a word that maybe will help us and maybe even challenge you in your life and your family to practice this? Fasting is simply focus. It's just focusing. It's not a diet. It's not about being hungry. It's about focusing all we are on God. And God knows that eating and drinking is very important to us, and it's necessary. Did Jesus fast? The Son of God fasted? The Savior of the world fasted? The Creator of the universe fasted? Yeah, He did. He modeled it for us, didn't He? That's a little strange to us, but that's how that's the expression of their repentance. Things are not right, and we need to see God. We need to hear from God. We just realize that we are not worshiping Him like we should, and so we're going to have this festival, and in fact, we recognize that we have not been living as God's people the way we should since the time of Joshua. And we got destroyed. We got carried away. The, 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 our city was destroyed. The temple was torn down. We were in exile for 70 years, and now God's bringing us back, and he's beginning to rebuild things. And the reality is we, this is all on us because we haven't been living like God's people. And they're realizing that. 
And they're beginning to ask what I hope we're asking. God, I need to hear from you. I need to see you. I need to understand. I need revelation. I need clarity. And they recognize that's not going to happen before they repent. And the way it's expressed is they begin to fast. They begin to focus. They begin to wear sackcloth. They begin to, to just put on basic, simple coverings. Material that you don't normally want to wear because it's itchy. It's not, ladies, it's a sack. It's not attractive. You know, guys, it's just, it's cumbersome. You know, it's like, oh, I can't, you know, play softball or whatever. You know what I mean? I just, they just put on this, these basic clothes that were meant to say things are not normal. We're not just going through the motions of our daily lives. We are intentionally recognizing that we're not right with God. And things need to get put on hold. Fixing your hair in the morning, putting on your makeup, taking a shower, putting on, those things are all on hold. Can you imagine the impact of being a part of a community where, take a look around now, we all have different likes and styles and colors and all that. All of it's gone. Everybody smells. Seriously, sweat. Everybody's hair is just what it is. It's, it's, and like, what is wrong? Do you see the visual reminder, the picture in this community is that something's not right. And so we're all going to wear these sackcloths. And then if that's not enough, they're going to, they just, not only did you not fix your hair this morning and, you know, wash it, but now as you came to church, you pulled over a couple times and, hey, there's a good spot and you got a bunch of dirt and just threw it in your, all over you. And as you walked in, you grabbed uh, the bark, <laughs> threw bark. I'm not trying to be funny, it's a, but, it, but it, it, the point is that it's kind of strange to us. We've gotten to a place, even as, as followers of Jesus, that all these things are important to us. Our eating, our meals, our food, taking care of ourselves, our clothing, just going to all this attention given to living our lives. And when repentance hits a community of God's people, it shakes up everything, it undoes, it interrupts everything. We struggle to come in on Sunday morning and be real with one another. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Instead of, you know, vomiting what we've been, we're carrying. Because we put a lot of time and attention into this, right? Don't I look okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to dance. It's, this looks strange that their whole life would be interrupted. And then they separate themselves from from foreigners and they stand and they confess publicly, openly and they give all this time to the reading of God's word and to confession, to worshiping him can I unpack this just a little bit for us I asked myself, so what does it look like what is really happening here is God saying, okay, go tell Crossroads family next Sunday I want you to all come in sackcloth I want you to throw, you know what do you, this is what it means, this is what is happening this is what they did, but what does that mean for us, God? What does it look like for us to be people of repentance, to be truly repentant people? Can I give you some thoughts? We humble ourselves before God and before man. See, the, the, the thing that we struggle with coming in and how you got dressed and prepared for today, there's some good stuff in that, right? Hygiene's a good thing. But let's just be real. There's a pride threaded all through that. There's pride. We want to be seen in a certain way. We want to be seen by people in a certain way. And if we're honest, we sometimes even put effort into being seen by God in a certain way. 
Some of you may have come this morning to be seen by God in a certain way. I better go to church. I better read my Bible. I better, I better, I better not talk in church the way I talk the rest of the week. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but you following me? We do actually put work into having God see us, or we think having God see us in a certain light. And what I see in this moment for the community of God's people is they just humble themselves internally and externally before God and one another. There is a personal repentance, but there's also a public repentance. Do you see it? It's individual, certainly, but it's also corporate. And that the people of God saying, we're not right. We need to see God. We need to hear from him. There's things in our lives. We, maybe the guilt is just we're going through the motions of the, the, the details of life on this planet. But where is the worship and the, and the praise of God above everything else? Why aren't we celebrating these festivals? Why aren't we celebrating the birthday of the church the way we should? Why didn't I sing this morning? I just went through the motions. Somebody might be admitting. What does repentance look like? It's humbling ourselves before God and before man. Number two, a second thought. We embrace our identity as being set apart as holy people. Now this comes up in the, in the Old Testament particularly, this idea of separating from non-Jewish people, from foreigners, from even, we'll see it in Nehemiah where they married, and like, what in the world? It's in Ezra too. What in the world? This, 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 is it an ethnicity thing? Does God not like people of certain color? Does he not like people of certain behavior or background? See, we've made it about the other people, and I'm here to tell... I, my conviction is it's not about the other people, it's about us as his people. It's about our holiness. It's not about how people look or he, God doesn't like, he likes this group more or less than another one. We've got a rising sentiment in our society today, don't we? I just read about it this week, a group of people saying this color, this race is better than the rest. And they do it in the name of God sometimes. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's real. It's happening right now in our world. It's not about other people. It's about us. It's God's people. And this, this, these moments where he says, separate yourself. What he's saying is separate from, the, from the, the practice, the behavior of these other communities. And we know why we're given detail of why he judged the Canaanites. You remember the, 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 the breaking point for God was what they were doing to their children. They were sacrificing them alive in the worship of Molech. And before we get all high and mighty and we go like, oh man, how can that happen? We're living in a day today that just, it looks cleaner. It, it has different terms. We make it the law of the land. We don't make it the law of the land. Whatever happens politically, whatever happens to the law of the, the land, God's heart doesn't change. He says, separate yourselves from people who live this way, who worship these things. Because the reality is, and this is part of our repentance that maybe we have, we have lost sight of, repentance is embracing our identity as God's people, and he has set us apart in this world to be holy, to be different, to be set apart from the sin and the, and the, the idolatry, worshiping anybody else but God, that is all around us. Am I on? Okay. I got a thing hanging here. You guys see that? It's not an earring. I didn't put earrings on this morning. Something feels like it's unplugged, but I'm going to ignore it. Okay. Squirrel. Sorry. Does that make sense? 
This is, this is part of it. For me, it just it became so clear this week. For me to be truly repentant, I need to embrace my identity as part of God's family. And he has set us apart to be holy from the rest of the world in which we live. It's about us. Number three, to be repentant, we expose our lives to the light of God's word. I pray that's what we're doing this morning. Again, my voice is not what's important other than with the Holy Spirit, however he wants to use it to open up for you to hear really what God is saying. Repentance is exposing my life, my inner thoughts, my choices, my life, all of it, just purposely, intentionally saying, okay, teach me God's word because I need to see if I'm in alignment with that. I'm ready to, okay, oh man, I'm not. I'm not in alignment with his word. This attitude, this action, this behavior, how I'm treating this person, it says right here, this is what it, looks like to be holy and obey God and to follow Jesus and oh, repentance is purposely intentionally exposing yourself to the light of God's word and it might be on a Sunday morning it might be on a Sunday night in youth group it might be on a Friday night kids night out or a Wednesday night program it might be an, a, a small group on Sunday morning or Wednesday night it might be you and a cup of coffee in your house on your back porch with your your Bible opening up and reading it intentionally purposely exposing your life my life to the truth of God's word it's not checking a box it's not oh look at me I read my Bible every day Repentance is bringing my life purposely before God and saying, God, show me the truth. Shine your bright light right on this and this. And help me to see what you see. Help me to know what you know. And finally, the last thought here is repentance is declaring our confidence in who God is and what he does. Repentance is it's humbling, but it's also scary. Yeah? To throw yourself into the hands of God and go, God, I am a sinner. As Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners and you're a holy God. But I'm going to do that. I repent. I put myself into your hands because I'm confident of who you are and what you do. That you're a God of holiness, you're a God of truth, and you're a God of grace and mercy. I'll just throw it out because of time. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm, guys, I'm not going to go to that text. But Romans 12, 1 and 2. Beautiful picture of what I believe this looks like. Let me give you another text to write down. Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Peter, the, the boat is full of fish, and Peter falls on his face before Jesus, and he says, go away from me. I am a sinful man. Repentance. And do you remember what Jesus says to him? He says, Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Unpack that verse sometimes for yourself. Meditate on what Jesus is saying to the man, to the woman who says, I am a sinful person. I don't, I, I don't even want to be in your presence. You need, I, I just want to run away from you. And God says, oh, don't be afraid. I want to make you a fisher of people. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. You said you want to know who I am and you want to see what I see and you want to hear from me well here it is repentance is declaring our confidence in who God is and what he does alright you ready for an extended reading Luke chapter 5 verses 8 through 11 you ready, you ready to follow along okay ready 
Slap your neighbor. No, slap yourself. Don't do don't, don't, Ah, stop. Um, Amy? I was too slow. Just, we're awake, okay? So this scene plays out, and here's what happens next. Those guys up on the, the platform, right? You alone are Yahweh. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host worships you, the stars. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight, and you made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the, uh, the Gergahites, Gergas Heights. And mine says termites. I don't know if yours does too. It does not. All these groups of people, you decided to give it to Abraham's descendants, to us. You have kept your promise because you're righteous. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and you heard their cry at the Red Sea. Remember? Ah, we're all going to die. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all of his officials, all the people of the land, for you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. 400 years of slavery. You made a name for yourself that endures to this name. Can you say that with me? Let's say that together. God, you made a name for yourself that endures. I hope we believe that. You divided the seas before him. They crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into churning waters. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. You revealed yourself to them, showed them how to live. You came down on Mount Sinai and you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good, good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commands, statutes, and instructions through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land, the land you'd sworn to give them. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. After all that, they became stiff-necked and they didn't listen to your commands. They refused to listen. They did not remember your wonders, the wonders that you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery. They just wanted to go back to Egypt. But you are a forgiving God. You're gracious. You're compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Even after they cast an image of a calf, a baby cow, for themselves, and they said, this is our God, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they committed terrible blasphemies. Even then, you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them. He, you kept leading them, and you kept guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go, even after they did that. And you sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet did not swell. 
You gave them kingdoms and peoples and assigned them to be a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of heaven and brought them to the land, told their ancestors. You told their ancestors to go in and take possession of it. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them. And you handed their kings and the surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. You gave them the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And they ate and they were filled and they became prosperous and they delighted in your great goodness. But... They were disobedient, rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs. They wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, they killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn their back on you. They committed terrible blasphemies. blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. And in their time of distress, they cried out to you and you heard from heaven and in your abundant compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight and so you abandoned them to the power. You gave them over to the power of their enemies who dominated them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and you rested, rescued them many times in your compassion. You warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and they would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted. They stiffened their necks and they would not obey. You were patient with them for many years. And your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them because you are a gracious and compassionate God. So now, our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors and all your people from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. You are righteous concerning all that has come on us. God, you're right in all your dealings with us over what he just reviewed. You've always been righteous throughout our history because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and the warnings you gave them when they were in their kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them and in the spacious and fertile land that you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. God established them as a people, particularly under the leadership of David and Solomon and a few other righteous kings. But you remember what that looked like, right? After all God had done for them, here we are today, so that brings us up to this moment. We've returned after the exile, and the building has begun, and the different things that you're doing, but here we are today after all this history. Here we are today, and we are slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors, so that they, land that they were given so they could enjoy its fruit and goodness. But here we are, slaves in it. 
Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you set over us, the taxes, the tribute that they have to pay to the Persians. And you've done this because of our sin. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. Do you connect with any of that? It's not just the history of Israel, is it? Here's my second thought. Revelation revives, it restore, it stirs up in us true repentance. They've just, they've just had this, this, these amazing moments and the conclusion where it brings them, and, and I won't give away next week because next week's pretty cool. Next week we're going to see the action that they take, what they do with one mind. But right now in this moment, at the end of our chapter, the revelation, the, the, the review, the remembering of who God is and what He's done should bring us to true repentance. We're slaves. God, you're doing stuff among us, but the reality is we are not in control of our, of our country. They didn't have a king, did they? They didn't have a government. They didn't have everything that God had blessed them with before. All of our taxes go to a Persian government far away. And we're slaves. We're working for them. We're slaves in our own country. We are in great distress. Now, stay with me, because next week, he's like, if this is the end of the story, this is kind of, you know, it's not. They're not just sitting around, oh, poor us, you know, man. No, what they're saying is, we are in this mess because of us. And what we've just done is we've gone through this history, and look at who God is. Look at what he's done. Look at who we are. Look how we've responded to this, to his goodness. Ah, revelation, you want to hear from God, you want to see God, you want to know what God has for you right now, it begins with repentance. And with repentance, then, he opens up our eyes to see and he gives us revelation. He gives them what they're asking for, doesn't he? He says, let me just remind you of who I am and our story. And yes, you are wicked, wicked people, but guess what? I keep my promises. I keep my covenants. I'm a gracious and compassionate God. And I'm not walking away from you. And that revelation should bring us, that again, reading his word, seeing in his word who God is and who we are, should bring us back to our knees again of repentance. I want to close with, with this. I'm going to invite the team to please. Actually, I'm going to invite Jeff and the team. If you want to start making your way up here. I'm just going to touch on this. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This idea of repentance, this idea of confession. Paul says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that the, God, that the Father raised him from the dead and you're saved. The revelation of the gospel on our lives should cause us to fall to our knees and cry out to God in confession and say, I believe that this is who you are and this is what you've done. 1 John chapter 1, you know these verses. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Isn't that good? Come on now, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he forgives, he's compassionate, he's gracious. Is that good? But then he also continues his work in us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He continues the good work that he started. Church, if you, if, and I say church because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a part of his, his, his family, and you're crying out, God, I need to see you, I need to hear from you, I want to know what's happening today and my place in it. It begins with repentance. It begins with falling on our knees and crying out to God and saying, God, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm broken. 
and intentionally being repentant people. And the promise is we, we will see him. We will see him. But know this, it will drive us to our knees once again to repent and say, praise God that you are compassionate and you are good and you're committed to us. Amen?